It's an absolute delight to be with you this evening with my wife. Lovely to hear you sing so heartily. Love to see our brother and sister at the front, inspiring and encouraging us also in the leading of the songs. As I traveled down the road, I wondered, have I got the right night? And when I arrived near the door, I met uh, Brother Stephen, and he was expecting somebody else with me, two of us, not one. <laughs> and I'm so sorry if uh, Dr. Ken Kamar has been announced for coming, and uh, he did not turn up. I thought uh, if it suited Stephen, we would have had him down on a weeknight, and I thought that was what was being planned. So I apologize. He's in Limavady today, and he has three meetings there. I spoke with him before I came away, and he had uh, two powerful meetings um, in Limavady in Moreau, and he was traveling uh, into Limavady town for the third meeting this evening. And that amazing servant of God is seeing the hand of God in a very remarkable way in Kenya. He came from a very, very poor background. He was born in a community that was very deeply impacted by revival in the early 70s. I'm not sure that he was uh, around at that time, or he was very young, but he came from uh, really an orphan background, and he found Christ marvelously, wonderfully born again and filled with a great zeal to win souls. And somebody began to influence his life, and he began to preach to the bananas and to the Napier grass growing in the garden. He was so keen to get the message of the gospel out, he thought he could preach and that it would have an effect on the things around him. So not surprising, he became a preacher, starting with a church of five and then seven, and it grew to nine, and he was greatly encouraged. And then in time, it grew to a thousand. A thousand. And he has 21 meetings every week. Can you imagine? Three services every day, except on Saturday. Three services on Sunday, starting at half past five. You wonder uh, if people were just going to bed at that time, never mind getting up to come to church. And constantly he is seeing a great, great in-gathering of precious souls. He has 35 other churches as well connected uh, to his ministry. He birthed them, placed pastors in them, and one of them has got 700 members. Is it not amazing? He has a school with uh, 350 children. And uh, just before he came here, he had a a gospel campaign uh, not far from his church in a field. And uh, the field, he said, was about the same size as a football field. 2,000 came uh, to that campaign, and 600 gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Now you ask, uh, why does that not happen here? That's a good question uh, to ask. But for those of you who do not know, there has been an awakening in Africa for the last 20, 30, and more years. And during the 20 years that we have been there, everywhere, I say everywhere we have gone, there has been a powerful sense and revelation of both the presence and the power of God. Sometimes I go around sharing my report, and perhaps there's somebody like that in the meeting tonight, and when you hear about these things, you say, ah, that's nothing. That's nothing. Those are all very spurious and superficial and uh, easy kind of conversions. If you are uh, really wanting to know the answer to that fully, why don't you buy yourself a ticket for Nairobi? Go across there for a week or two or a month or two and see what God is doing. I have led people to Christ as they've checked out my groceries in the supermarket. It would be very, very difficult to do that here. I've led a man to Christ while he was filling my car with diesel. 
I have led many, many, many people to Christ in the markets where I've preached an impromptu message, 20 or 30 each time, begging Bibles, begging to be led to Jesus Christ. I say that is revival. And for your information, if you're a reader, you will already know this. And if you're not a reader, you are actually doing yourself a great injustice. During the 1859 revival, probably as many people got saved outside the churches and mission halls as inside of them. There was a great move of God, and people got saved at their place of work. They got saved on their farmyard, in the byre, out in the fields, on the sides of the road, and in some cases grabbed hold of lampposts because they had a sinking feeling that they were going down into hell. Now that is conviction. That is an awakening. That is a stirring of God. And this church, I know, is praying for revival. That is what you are praying for. You need to know that, and it will make uh, serious demands on your life between now and when it comes. I did mention not once, but a number of times in this church that Ethiopia, where we have devoted considerable time to ministry in many, many parts and places uh, in, in some earlier years, Ethiopia have seen 20 million souls coming to know Jesus Christ between 1971 and 1990. 20 million. And even today, on a regular basis, there's church of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 just budding up in communities. I have been in those churches and preached in them. And the amazing thing uh, about that revival, there were mostly young people under the age of 40 or 35. An amazing awakening. And I say to you tonight, dear men and women, start praying for something like that or even greater. God may not do it exactly the way he has been doing it in Africa, but uh, he will do it. Of that, I have no doubt. In that area that I've just mentioned where Dr. Ken got saved, there was a community that was held to ransom by one lady. She happened to be a powerful witch. And she controlled the whole area with her witchcraft. And she was greatly feared. The powers of darkness controlled her. And uh, terrible things happened. And that was the last place any police officer wanted to be assigned. He trembled when he heard his name to go to that particular community because he knew that within a month he would have a breakdown of some kind or other and he would take ill and he would have to come home. Something bad would happen to him. Every pastor who came to that area, he knew that he too would not stay long. Men went with great resolve and great determination, but their health broke down within a matter of months. And that went on for years and years. This lady ruled the whole community and thousands of people like she were a queen or some great despot, despot, and that is what she was, a very wicked woman. But a godly couple came there to pastor a small church and they took on the challenge. I'm not sure that they started having church immediately, but they began to pray and fast. They began to pray very, very deeply, and they prayed specifically because God revealed to them what was wrong in the community. They targeted that woman, that woman, with prayer. And they pleaded the blood of Christ, and they pleaded uh, the merits of the cross and the strong name of the mighty Son of God. And they were encouraged to pray on. And they prayed for some months, I think quite some months, and they began to see a difference. And one day that which was taken a hold upon by the local community. 
I didn't mention to you, but there were terrible murders almost every day in that community, great drunkenness, sexual immorality, child molestation, all types of ugly and terrible things. It was the place that um, was a dark spot on the outskirts of Nairobi. But I'm saying there came a day when a, a group of the local people took huge sticks and maybe pitchforks, and they went to that witch's house. And uh, they disturbed her, got her out, and they drove her out of the community. And uh, many of them were Christians, and they, they knew that this was the right thing to do. And that woman was put to shame, and uh, she was greatly, greatly shaken and shocked, and she was kicked out of the community unceremoniously. And the powers of darkness all around her were broken, and it was as if a lorry load of chains fell of that community. And there became a great brokenness and a great sense of the presence of God, and hundreds and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have seen or heard that story. It has been put on video, and it was one of a series of stories about revival, and it was called, I think, um, was it Reformation? Something of that nature. And... Um, it's still around, and I probably have one in my home. But I'm saying that's the community Ken came from. The revival wasn't, um, it wasn't going forward quite so vividly while he was a young man growing up and preaching the gospel. But God was at work nonetheless. So Africa, Africa has been awakened. And my dear brothers and sisters, unless something like that happens in Northern Ireland, we're sunk. We're sunk were sunk. But I want to tell you, you can't get sunk in a prayer meeting if you are laying hold upon God in real earnest. The Lord will not allow it. Instead, the heavens will open and uh, the community will be shaken. I say that just to encourage you. I had no intentions of saying that, but um, I was a little taken aback when you were expecting Ken. I wish that he, he could have been here and he has brought awakening to some of the meetings where he has been ministering. Now, I stand here before you to bring a message this evening, and um, I want you to pray for me as I do so. I want to read two short passages, one from the first book in the Bible and the other from the Gospel of Luke. Can we turn to Genesis chapter 19, please? And we'll read the small portion at the verse 24. And then if we can click over conveniently to um, another portion in the Gospel by Luke and um, chapter, chapter number 17, <clears throat> please. But um, we read first of all, please, from Genesis, verse 24. <clears throat> and let's read from verse 23. <clears throat> The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, <clears throat> brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. And his wife, Lot's wife, looked back from behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord, and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain, and beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up the smoke as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. And that was a most supernatural, a most amazing deliverance insofar as Lot 
and at least some members of his family were concerned. Now over please to the portion I've mentioned in Luke chapter 17, verse 22, <clears throat> rather verse 26, but uh, verse 22 says, and Jesus said unto the disciples, so Jesus is speaking, he has spoken these words. Jesus said unto his disciples, verse 26, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, and they brought, they bought and sold, uh, they planted and builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the days when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. A surprising number of Christians laugh when they hear about that statement in regard to Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus did not think it was funny. Jesus regarded it as a historical fact, as it is. The Word of God stands uh, unshaken and um, inerrant. A word of prayer. My Father, we need your help here in this service tonight. We have sensed your presence in a marvelous way. Thank you for the powerful singing and the very wonderful hymns, so inspirational and so personal and so much full of testimony, referring to how personal the Lord Jesus has become to us in our daily lives. And we thank you that Jesus does walk with us every day, and every day he talks with us. And every day we hear uh, not only his voice, but we see his power flowing through our lives and touching other lives. And we pray for more of that. And Lord, having spoken as I have about revival, we pray very sincerely and very earnestly for a great awakening in this county, a great awakening in this community of Dungannon and Moy and Portadown and Ben Burb, a great awakening. And I believe, Lord, sincerely, that when a great awakening comes to this community, it will begin here, right here, right here. Lord, prepare your people here for a great revelation of the power of God. And I pray that the people of God will unite together, and I pray earnestly that they will seek your face together, and that they will believe together and hold on together. It's not comfortable when it comes to the end of a pregnancy and the baby is about to be born. Not comfortable for the expected mother. And we know that revival is just like that. There are pangs and there are terrible pains and there's a price to pay. Lord, make your church willing to pay that price. I ask, Lord, that you would begin that gracious visitation in Northern Ireland soon, Lord, soon, soon, because many, many, many people are perishing and uh, they're being lost for all eternity. We pray that you would help us in the meeting tonight as we seek to bring the Word of God. I pray, Lord, for your touch upon my mind and my mouth. I surrender myself to you, Lord, as your uh, vessel and instrument uh, to, to speak, Lord, into the hearts and lives of men and women here. 
And Lord, if there is one soul here tonight not saved, I ask you to seek that one out. And Lord, if there's a professing Christian here tonight, and if they are uh, losing ground, and if they're backslidden, backslidden and getting away from God, I pray that you would seek that one out. Gracious Father, visit us now as the meeting proceeds, and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a couple of verses again from the passage in Matthew 17. If I may, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so shall it be in the day when the Son of Man cometh. Men and women, what I've read to you tonight from both the Old and the New Testament is absolutely a reliable and a totally accurate account of events in days long, long gone by. The Word of God does not lie. The Word of God has made a statement, and you had better believe it, because there's a lot of unbelievers amongst believers. We're reading the Word of God, and it's not really reaching our hearts. We are very often resisting it or missing the point. Very often, I mean, we need our eyes to be anointed of God in order to see and feel, and indeed um, to be awakened to truth. Tonight I want to try, try as I may, uh, and the best I can, to speak to you about Lot's, rather Sodom's, last night. Sodom's last night. I obviously wasn't there, but the record is very, very detailed, very detailed, and it's not difficult to talk about it uh, with considerable detail. And uh, I want to lift out some aspects of that great and terrible event, and I'm doing it for a variety of reasons, which will become apparent as I proceed. It happened, and something like it is going to happen again, perhaps even on a greater and grander scale, when Jesus comes back. I want to talk for a moment about the significance of Sodom and its sister city, Gomorrah. Those names are always associated with infamy and um, scandal and terrible shame and shocking immorality. You cannot even begin to imagine or think that the historical significance of this city, particularly Sodom, it probably was the bigger of the two cities. Probably it had a population of well in excess of 10 or 20 or 30,000, probably over 100,000. Maybe it was upwards to quarter of a million. Cities way back then were pretty, pretty huge because the population grew at quite an alarming rate, uh, clearly. But I'm saying Sodom and Gomorrah were cities. They're referred to as cities of the plain. They, grew, they rather were built, they were situated in a very, um, in a very verdant and beautiful, lush, farmland kind of uh, situation. It was a great countryside for grazing cattle and um, fattening cattle, and there were good markets in and around Sodom and Gomorrah, and there were other satellite cities in the plain, uh, probably scores of them, and they were all somehow or other connected. And it was in that direction that Lot cast his greedy, covetous eye when his uncle Abraham gave him the opportunity of looking uh, in whichever direction he wanted and wh wherever he decided to go, uh, the old patriarch and great intercessor and friend of God and the, the amazing uh, progenitor of the 
uh, messianic line of uh, generations. He said, uh, uh, nephew, he said, you choose. It wasn't his place. It wasn't Lot's place to choose. But Abraham, great and uh, humble man that he was, he let the younger choose. And he chose what he felt would bring prosperity to him quickly. And of no hesitation in saying, he wasn't thinking so much about good schools for his children as he was good markets for selling his cattle. He wanted to become rich quick, and he had a great uh, a flock of cattle, great herd of cattle, and uh, probably flocks of sheep and goats and maybe even some camels. He was a wealthy, you could call him a millionaire. So he thought he could do well by situating himself in that direction. He did not think of the, um, the dangers that would so profoundly affect his life and his family later on. So there are 48 references to the place that's called Sodom in the Bible. I pretty much counted them all. There's five references to those who lived the life that Sodom suggests, that, that gave its name to those who live a very sexually uh, uh, immoral, ungodly, loose uh, life, what we know the condition of uh, abandonment to sexual sin as uh, sodomy or uh, homosexuality, lesbianism, and uh, transgender, and all the, the modern names that go with it, they are all caught up on that. There's five references to sodomites. The former First Minister of Scotland, Nicola Sturgeon, it was her vow and her determination to ban the Bible in Scotland because she not only uh, condoned those lifestyles that I've just described as sodomy and homosexual, uh, she, she, she was very favorable toward it, and uh, it's reported that she may well have been in that fraternity. But she was determined to banish the Bible because of passages like the one in Genesis that I've read tonight. She said, this is obsolete, this is nonsense, this is against, uh, <laughs> against human nature. The, these things are, 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 are you, you know, extreme, and uh, they're ancient, and they need to be rejected. And she was planning to wipe out the Bible the, from the country that was known as the land of the Bible. My word. Uh, the dear old reformers would have been heartbroken if they had been around, really, like John Knox quite frankly. But I'm saying this is the Word of God. I'm reading from the Word of God. Uh, these cities are also mentioned in 15 books of the Bible. I've counted them very carefully. 15 books of the Bible. They're mentioned not only in the first one, very, very much. They're mentioned in the last one too. And altogether, there are over 100 verses, 101 to be precise, verses in the Bible that actually mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and all these details, some of which we've read tonight. So I'm saying the, 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 the cities, the, the actual historical, the existence of those historical cities, and um, their kind of culture, and uh, their kind of behavior, and all of that, and the destruction of the same, it's very carefully cataloged in both Old and New Testaments. And I say once more, the Lord Jesus uh, spoke about Sodom uh, at least four times. Now, did Jesus tell lies? Were there such cities? Did such places exist? Of course. Of course they did. And uh, Jesus used them, as in this case, to point out that as it was in the days of Lot, uh, so should it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Now let me talk about the uh, record um, in relation to this city and what the Bible has to say about it. Uh, there's mention made in Scripture, carefully, carefully enshrined there, about Sodom's fondness for inordinate eating and taking or drinking of alcohol. The drinking's not referring to water or milk. Drinking. So, 
it is suggesting a kind of a party lifestyle. There is details that speak of their preoccupation with business and making money. So making money and also a life of pleasure very often, I'm not saying in every case, but very often without Christ those two uh, cultures and those two practices are linked together. Also, the scriptures record the total abandonment of Sodom and her sister city, Gomorrah, and the other satellite cities, their abandonment to sexual immorality. It was their lifestyle. It wasn't something they did now and again. It was sexual immorality of the most grotesque, uh, the most extravagant, outlandish, bestial, demonic manner. I couldn't get adjectives enough to describe how they lived. They lived more like animals than they did human beings. Made in the image of God, but living in ways that even the animals uh, would not have known to have behaved in that manner. There's a reference also to their love of ease and partying. I say these things just to say, wait a minute. What kind of society are we living in? How many of these characteristics are evident. Fondness for, I have to say, inordinate eating and the taking of alcohol. There's a culture amongst the youth of today that cannot be stopped, that cannot be tamed regarding uh, drug taking and the drinking, uh, the, the alcohol drinking. And in many, many, many cases in our cities, and even in our smaller towns, it's leading to death and all manner of, all manner of disease and sickness. Also, the preoccupation with uh, business and money-making, that's the passion. Young people now going to university, that's the number one thing. How can I make a lot of money? How can I get rich? I want to buy my own home. I want to have my own motor car. I want to buy fancy clothes. Is that not a factor? Not in all now. I'm talking about worldly-minded young people who have not been brought up in a church uh, and Christian uh, culture and, and setting like this church. But I'm saying with many, that's the way they think. And they're being taught and trained to think that way and to outdo each other in the pursuit of those goals. And also, there is uh, the love of ease and partying. You know, a lot of people, if they could get off with um, working two days a week, they would do it. There's a huge problem now across the United Kingdom since uh, demonic COVID when people won't go back to work. They want to work from home. They want to watch television. They want to eat their crisps uh, as, they, as they do their work on their computer. They're doing their work on their computer, and uh, they're meant to be maybe in a government office in, 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 in London, and they're uh, sitting on some beach in, in a warm clime, uh, thousands of miles away. They've got used to that. There's ease, ease. I'm saying if a man doesn't work and work in proper circumstances and be seen to work, he should be kicked out of that position. He doesn't deserve a job. And... Uh, the authorities and many employers, they, they, are too, they are too carefree, too, too easygoing, and they allow them to do those kinds of things. Nearly everybody is working from home nowadays. Um, it seems like that. So I'm saying our culture is here, and not to mismentioning the, uh, the extremes and the, the uh, total abandonment to sexual immorality. We have never lived in a generation that has been so sin and sex uh, sick, sick, yes, sick to the teeth. This is a sex-sodden age. I make no apology for using this language in the pulpit because you're hearing it every day on the news and on TV and newspapers you're hearing it from all those around you, even from some of your family members who are not saved. It's, it's, you think it's as bad as it's going to get. It's going to even get worse. 
Look what is happening in our schools, introducing sex education to even the lower forms of, in primary school. Men and women, dear brothers and sisters, this is uh, catastrophic. This is indicating the, that, that, that there were never so many demons that have come down and they're moving in and out amongst uh, men and women, amongst families, among, among the younger generation, and, and, and schools and, and youth groups and whatever else. I am saying our young people, many of them, are being spoiled and they're being soiled before they have a chance to grow up. They're being raped. Our grandchildren, almost while they're babies, they're being raped by governmental authorities. And I thank God I, I, I salute uh, my dear brother Bertie and my dear brother Stephen and uh, his, their colleagues here, their, their, their elders, that you are taking the step that you're taking to protect and to put up uh, uh, an institution to have, to launch an institution that's going to not only educate children, but that's going to preserve them from the vileness that is out there, out there, outside our front door. May God give you grace and help as you proceed. The primary mark of the infamy and the grotesque lifestyles of Sodom was homosexuality and lesbianism. The primary mark of their infamy, right from way, 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 way back there, <coughs> Three to four thousand years, I am saying, that is the fact of it. The fact of it. And it is most disturbing. Most disturbing. Uh, Jerusalem was so sinful in the days of Isaiah and Ezekiel and, and um, Jeremiah, uh, those periods of time, that they referred to Jerusalem by a different name. It was the name Sodom. Jerusalem was called Sodom. And the two tribes, the northern tribe and the southern tribe of Israel, um, Judah and um, Samaria, they were also called by the same name, Sodom. Now, I want to say to you, we should change the name of the United Kingdom to Sodom. Somebody uh, off the cuff asked me one time in a meeting, uh, could I have your address, please? I said, of course. Uh, you want it now? Okay. I said, Sodom. I come from Sodom and Gomorrah. And I feel I do. I'm against every part of it. I curse it in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the power of his blood. This is Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm saying the whole of Europe is an extended Sodom and Gomorrah. At least as bad, some places worse. I say the United States is a Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody should have the boldness and the courage to, to declare it publicly, clearly, in a way that people will hear and, and actually realize that we have gone, we have gone to the dogs. I don't know if you realize, actually, that um, in some of these um, settings of which I've been speaking, the sins of sodomy um, have been described using that kind of language. They use the word dog in the Hebrew language for the practice of homosexuality. Dog. There are Ten or twenty references in the scriptures to that effect. I repeat, just for clarity, a sodomite is a person who is guilty of the sin of unnatural, I say unnatural, sexual relationships between the same sex. And sadly, sometimes even with animals. It's unthinkable. Unnatural, vile, sinful affections. I want now to just proceed to talk about Sodom's last day. The city gates were closed. 
just before darkness came. That may have been around seven o'clock in the evening. It was a daily practice, and then when the sun got up in the morning, they opened the gates. But as the gates were closed, or preparing to be closed, the one responsible for that job would look around to see if anybody was coming uh, close, because he would not want to shut them out. It would be dangerous to be outside, but believe me, it was more dangerous to be inside those gates. All workers and visitors had to enter uh, before the gates were closed, because they would not be reopened unless there was some great emergency. You can imagine somebody coming the last night of Sodom, Sodom's existence, and having to go away. They would have been very, very disappointed, but the next morning, if they had gone some distance away, uh, far enough to be safe, they would have been so grateful, wouldn't they? Can you imagine? All shops, bazaars, and supermarkets had pulled down their shutters, something like that. Um, it was time to go home, and it was time to count your money, and to perhaps make plans for the hours that remained. Nobody knew in all these departments, nobody knew or had the slightest idea that this was Sodom's last night. They were stocking up their shelves in advance, saying, well, I'll be a step or two ahead in the morning. I'll just set these out and they'll be ready for my first customers. They never thought that their hands would never be on their, those goods ever again. All would be consumed. Nobody was thinking. And the people coming inside the city, if they had only known what was going to happen, they would have started running. They would have started running. And they wouldn't have stopped until the city of Sodom and its sister city were, had all but disappeared. Children were called in from play to have their supper. They didn't know, but it was going to be their last supper. The chickens had come home to roost. The cattle and the sheep and the pigs and the donkeys and the camels. They were all standing in their stalls and making the noises that those animals, those kinds of animals, normally make. The rude lightning systems that were um, fueled by uh, goose and chicken and pig grease. And those makeshift lamps around the narrow alleyways and paths through this vast metropolis of Sodom, well, relatively vast metropolis. Uh, they, they flickered to show people just their way around, clearly. The population, as I've said, was large. Many were planning a night of flooring, frolic and sin, and some of them were planning to dress up and wear the most crazy of clothes. It's interesting to note the way some people in the uh, culture of which I've been speaking tonight, the way they dress, you know them before you see them. Dressing up in the most strange of outfits, looking more like clowns and comics than human beings. I am saying uh, the, the inhabitants of Sodom were demon-possessed. Regard me extreme if you want. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the whack. I'll take the, the knock. I believe that with this culture of which I'm speaking tonight, there's a very powerful and a very um, enormous uh, influence of demonic spirits. Why is this thing taking a hold of the world, not just uh, our part of it? Why? I say demons have come down. And behind every, every, every case, there's this connection, I believe. It's not something to do with the genes. It's not something to do with uh, um, the people you uh, associate with. It's much more than that. It's deeper than that. And it needs the power of God to break it, for sure. This, I say, once more was Sodom's last night. A voice was heard. It was the voice of a man preaching, and that man 
was called Lot. We came across his name tonight. He was preaching on the streets, and he often preached at the gate. You see, he was a member of the council. He was appointed as an elder. He was one of a group of probably 10 or 12. You see, he was a rich man. He had cattle and herd, and he had plenty of money. So they pulled him into the, 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 the group very quickly. They said, you're, you're one of us, and uh, you must have a say in this town because of your status and because of your, your flair for business and because of the cattle and the herds that you have around you. So I can imagine that at times at the gate he would talk uh, and preach about Jehovah, and he would try and get across this message that they were living a wicked life, and he would tell them that they needed to repent. Uh, Peter, in his uh, second epistle, he tells us that Lot was a righteous man, and he was vexed. He was vexed at the way the people were living, and the way that they were uh, actually destroying their bodies, and how their families were being affected by their lifestyles. He was very, uh, very clear in his message. But the people laughed at him. They said, what's got into you, man? You're, 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 you're a lunatic, if ever there was one, that treated Noah like that. This was Sodom's last night. And perhaps on that last night, somewhere along the trail, Lot was preaching and calling people to repent. And he would say, if you don't repent, you're going to be judged. Your lifestyles are a disgrace. You're, you're, you're living against the commandments and the laws of God. You need to do something. You need to get right with God. Get delivered from this uh, demon of immorality that's possessing you. And the guys would put, throw back their shoulders and they'd laugh. <laughs> There's something wrong with you, sir. Uh, your, your head needs to be examined. And only be, because he was part of the official um, majesty, the, the, the official um, government of the, of the city, they probably would have hit him, but they couldn't dare think of doing that. It was Sodom's last night, and here is this man calling the city and its people to repentance. And on a distant mountain, there was an old man of God, and you've heard his name so often, I've mentioned it already this evening, Abraham, an old man of God, and he was praying. And he was weeping as he prayed. He was a mighty intercessor. And actually something very exciting happened that day. Jesus came to visit his house. And his house was a tent. It was an elaborate one, a good one, but it was a tent nonetheless. Jesus came with two friends from heaven. And both of them were angels. I'm not aware of many who had such an entourage from another world, from heaven, like that. They sat down and talk, talked for some hours. And Sarah and Abraham entertained them. They killed a calf and they uh, had a fantastic meal for them. And they had a message to deliver. And uh, the message was one that was long awaited. Sarah was going to have a baby. You know the story. Sarah was listening at the little flap of the tent nearby, and uh, she heard it and laughed. And for that reason, her child was called laughter. That's the meaning of Isaac. And um, it came time for the friend, for the, the, the angelic and for the divine visitors to leave. And um, Jesus told the angels to go on ahead. He did so in very discreet language and terms. Nobody knew. You go on ahead. You've come down to see if this city, Sodom, is as bad as it's made out to be. Go on ahead, please. And um, so they did. And uh, Jesus said, this man, Abraham, is going to be a great man. He's going to be the father of the messianic line. And uh, how can we keep from him? what's going to happen tonight. And can we hide it for him? We must, we must share it with him. And so Abraham went or got down to prayer, and Jesus was there, right there. 
He could have stretched out his hand and touched him. He was there. And he began to plead for Sodom. We're not told that there was conversation about Sodom in the tent. Perhaps there was. Perhaps that matter was discussed earlier, but he begins to intercede. Lord, spare the city. You know, Lord, there's a great number of inhabitants. There's tens of thousands. And, 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 and they're, yes, they're wicked, very wicked, and they deserve judgment. But Lord, you're merciful. Will you spare them? And uh, the Lord waited as Abraham continued to talk um, and to pray. And Abraham thought, well, let me, let me bargain with God. Let me bargain with God. Lord, if there's 50 righteous persons in Sodom, will you spare Sodom? Please, please. Please, Lord, I'm asking you. And the Lord waited for a little while. He said, all right, Abraham, if there's 50 righteous persons, I'll, I'll, spare, I'll spare Sodom. I'll not judge it. And then he thought, maybe, maybe there's 10 short. What if there's 10 short and I, I hadn't come down a little bit in my request? And then he pleaded, Lord, if there's 10 lacking, if there's only 40, would, 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 would you spare? You can't let the righteous die with the, uh, the, the unrighteous. If there's 10 righteous persons, will you spare Sodom? And the Lord said, yes. And he came down again to 30 and to 20. And then finally he came down to 10. And he said, Lord, if there's 10 righteous, he was thinking, there's, there's Lot and his wife, that's two. And they've got two daughters that are unmarried. That's four. And it mentions in the Scriptures about his sons, plural, sons-in-law. So I can surmise there were at least two, and along with their spouses, that would have made eight. I don't know if, they had, if Lot had sons. We're not told but could it be that there were 10 righteous persons that he knew of, or he thought he knew of? And he said, Lord, if there's 10, if there's 10, will you spare Sodom? And the Lord said, I will. And I can imagine Abraham going like this. I believe I've, I've saved, I've managed to save Sodom from a terrible holocaust and overthrow. But you know, in that wicked, wicked city, there were not ten righteous. Because Lot's daughters and their spouses, it seems like they too had gone wayward. And when they were being pulled out or efforts were being made to warn them to come out of Sodom, they refused. That was their home. That was their lifestyle. That was where they chose to be. And so it was the next morning as old Abraham got up from bed. However many hours of rest he had that night, we don't know, but he came out early, very early. And as we've read, the smoke of Sodom was going up, going up. And it was uh, burning like a furnace. It was an inferno. It was a cataclysm, like a nuclear bomb had gone off. But we're still in, we're still in Sodom. Morning has not yet come, the last Sodom's last night. And the angels came to the gate, and Lot invited them to come back to his house. He said, this is not a safe place. They said, no, 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 we're okay, we'll sleep on the streets. Oh, no, you will not, you cannot sleep on the streets. This is a dangerous place. How safe are our streets? How often do you hear of people, young people, young women, young men too, being molested, being raped, violently assaulted, killed, some using guns and others using knives? All the cities of the United Kingdom have become, they've become like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're dangerous, so dangerous, actually. So he said, you're not going to sleep on the street. Come home. Please, please, don't argue with me. Come home. And he brought them home. 
and he was planning to make a meal for them and he was showing them you're going to sleep here and there for the night. And as they were making those plans, there was a few big bangs on the door. And when Lot opened the door and he closed it behind him, he says, what can I do for you, gentlemen? He said, those men that you brought into your house tonight, we want to have a relationship with them. We want to have some fun. We want to know them. Bring them out. He says, no, I can't do that. He says, you will. Who do you think you are? And they were very bold. I don't know if they ever talked this way to him before. They said, you're just a blow-in. You're not one of us. You, you came in from outside. You're, you're really a stranger, and we, we have tolerated you. You can't say no to us. And they were pushing to get back. He said, you can't. He said, I have two daughters here. And you know, for months and months, I've been thinking about Sodom, and I've been thinking about Lot in Sodom, and I've been thinking about Lot offering his two daughters to these wicked men. Take my daughters. They've never known men. Take them and do whatever you want with them. A father saying that about his daughters, that's unforgivable. I know that he was duty-bound. Their culture bound them to being kind, kind to, the, um, to visitors and strangers. And, and he, was, he should go to any length, but not that length. Every father should and, and would die for their children and their offspring. But here he is offering to protect the, the visitors, the angels, which he may not have been sure that that is exactly what they were that evening. And so uh, the men began to push and break down the door. But remember, God smote them, or the angels smote them with blindness, and they could not get in. And so the news breaks Judgment is coming. Lot, this is the last night that Sodom and Gomorrah will exist. Judgment is coming. God's about to pour out his vials of wrath. Get out. Get out of this place. Get out and get out quickly. Get out now and take your family. And he said, oh, 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 I have family that are not here. Uh, give me time. I want to go and talk. And he went to try and talk to them, to talk to his daughters and their husbands and to plead with them, come, come. This place is going to be overthrown tonight. Judgment is coming. There's going to be a great, a great cataclysm. And they laughed at him and said, what's wrong with you, Father? What's wrong with you? <clears throat> it's not like that at all. You, you must, are you sick if you've got a temperature? They said, no, I'm not sick. A messengers have come. Judgment's at the door. Get out of this place. And they said, no, we've got appointments tonight. We, we, we can't, um, you can't prevail upon us. Not at this time. And so they refused to come. And the man took a hold on Lot. And I can see him gathering up some of his documents and maybe a bag of money. I can see him wondering, what can I take? What will I take with me? And the man said, you'd better get out. And they pulled him. They forced him. His wife, along with himself and his two daughters. And I can see them running and pulling these persons behind. Get out. Flee for your life. And my dear friends in the meeting tonight, I'm wanting to tell you tonight that God hates sin. God will judge sin. God hates homosexuality and every, every, every other kind of sin. And there's no little sins. And there's no good sins. And there's no good wicked habits. You're here tonight and you're not saved. You need Jesus. You need to repent. And it's urgent. What if tonight was the night when God's vials of judgment were poured out. What if Jesus Christ came back tonight? What if if you died? God forbid. If you had a collision in your motor car on your way home or tomorrow morning. What if, God forbid, anything like that should happen? I pray life and safety and well-being over all of you. But I am saying life is very, very temperamental. Life is very brief, and I am saying that you need to be ready. And I urge you tonight and encourage you to get right with God. And so the angel pulled them out of Sodom. It wasn't enough to get outside the gate and sit on a rock. They needed to get further away. This judgment was going to be very extensive. Get out. And so they were being pulled and forced. Um, because of the prayers of the man of God, Abraham, and um, when they were 
long, long ways away. Lot's wife, she was told, and the others were told also, don't look behind you. Please don't look behind you. If you do, it'll be very serious. But this lady, which had been brought up probably in the company of her husband's uncle Abraham, had heard the word of God and had heard the things of God and was well acquainted with them. She probably had been a believer. She turned to look behind her. And instantly, she became a pillar of salt. I repeat what I said at the beginning, that actually happened. That actually happened. And my friends, when you give your life to Christ, you must say goodbye to the world, and the old life, and the old habits, and the old ways. And you must keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus. You must keep looking, looking straight in front of you. And so, as Lot survived that Holocaust, you know, he was very soon discredited in a shocking way. The same chapter that records the story of the overthrow of Sodom records that story also. And I will not take time to refer to it this evening. My dear brothers and sisters, tonight I am saying to you, if you are uh, without a saving interest in the Lord Jesus, this is your best and maybe only opportunity of closing in with God. Talking about Lot, I've mentioned he chose the well-watered valley of the Transjordan uh, to make his future there. He lost his testimony. He lost his wife and most of his family. He lost all his wealth. He lost his home. And as I've just said, he was later to lose his own self-respect and common decency. Have I spoke too frankly? Have I spoke too straight? It's not a day for us to be silent anymore. We speak sometimes at a cost. We sometimes are perhaps too bold. But I am saying we're living in the times of Sodom all over again, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of God, the Son of Man. And if ever there was a time when you needed to make your welfare with God, make your peace with God, make your, um, your assurance of being right with God, if ever there was a time when you needed to do that, Swiftly, it's tonight. I urge upon you to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon him while he is near. <clears throat> now, can we pray? Father, dear Father, we believe judgment is near. It's at the door. <clears throat> and the things of which we are speaking, they are going to become more prominent. They're going to become more evident all around us in our workplaces. And we're brushing shoulders with people like this, and we are not aware that we're brushing close with those who are under the influence of dark demon spirits. We pray, Lord, that you would come with a great, great visitation of revival. Cleanse the church, Lord. The church today, as it is called, Many, many meeting places for believers. There are people coming into those meeting places and uh, their lives are affected with what I've been trying to speak about this evening. And uh, they're feeling that um, to live this way, it's not sinful, it's not wrong. It's allowed. God would not um, be too harsh or hard with us. But we know from your word that this is not so. And we pray, Lord, for a cleansing of your church. Cleanse 
your house, Lord, from all sexual immorality, all wickedness and waywardness, dishonesty and theft, witchcraft and lies, blasphemy, and even theft. We pray that you would cleanse your church, cleanse your church. How dare we come to a prayer meeting if there are things in our life that have not been put right. If there are matters to do with restitution and paying unpaid bills and matters that pertain to our uh, standing in our community and our association with our neighbors, we pray that you would give us a conscience, grant us an awakening, Lord, so that we will put matters right and that we will humble ourselves uh, very deeply before you, confessing our sin, our unworthiness, and our wickedness, and be totally cleansed and delivered and set free. Oh God, make it, make it even so this evening. And Lord, if there's one here tonight and they are somehow or other, Lord, um, perhaps caught up in the, the realm of these things of which I've been speaking tonight, and they feel that there's no hope for them, they think that they cannot, um, they cannot extricate themselves from this kind of life and uh, conduct. I pray that you would speak hope and speak peace and speak deliverance. We thank you the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse us from all sin. And we thank you that him that, sets this, him that the Son sets free is free indeed. We believe that sincerely. Lord, set men and women free. Break the power of demons and break the power of evil habit and all the wickedness and concoctions of Satan. And we pray that we will live our lives fully and completely in you. So bless us now. Keep us safe as we travel back to our homes and make us a blessing, Lord, throughout this incoming week. In Jesus' name, amen.